Well, hello there. My name is Colin Livingston. I will be the host of Talking Torque. Uh, I'm glad that you're taking a look at this here tonight. Um, sent out a bio earlier today, a little bit of an introduction of what to expect. Uh, my life basically revolves around two things. Uh, I own a business called Cantorque. A very proud owner of uh, our little industrial manufacturing company. Uh, and the rest of the time, I race. I still work as a crew member uh, with a NASCAR Pinty Series team. I still actively put my helmet on and uh, get to race my go-karts. Uh, I own a company called CRG Racing, uh, which is the factory distribution point for CRG race carts. So I sell uh, parts and pieces and help support other racers. Um, Cantorque is a industrial manufacturing company. We, we specialize in hydraulic torque tools, hydraulic stud tensioners, nut runners, uh, impact sockets, mechanical torque tools, basically anything you'd ever use to tighten and loosen an industrial fastener. And, um, you know, was approached by my good friend, Dean Blundell. Um, we, we sort of accidentally got uh, tricked into doing these podcasts uh, through my other good friend, Mr. Lachlan Cross, when uh, last year we were getting ready to promote the, um, the NASCAR race that's uh, held here just outside Edmonton at uh, Edmonton International Raceway in Wetaskiwin. Uh, approached Locke about trying to get my driver, Alex Tagliani, uh, on the radio show. And, and he suggested that the radio show might not be the best venue, but that we should uh, maybe jump on his podcast. And candidly, I didn't know an awful lot about podcasts. I didn't know what the reach would be and, and definitely didn't know uh, anything about Dean being uh, an Edmontonian. Uh, I wasn't really exposed to Toronto radio. But, um, you know, that first day back in July, uh, we had a great time. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And then uh, through that, was able to uh, start following some of the, uh, the podcasts uh, that, that Dean was doing, actually became a, uh, a show sponsor. And um, now somehow, some way, here we are uh, to, to talk about, you know, the, the behind the scenes of my worlds of business and, and racing. And, uh, you know, hopefully in time, we find a few people that are interested in watching and uh, we can have some good discussions, bring on some, you know, some good guests and, um, you know, show you kind of what life's like behind the scenes. Now, I've got to be equally honest uh, I don't know if my bigger fear is that uh, no one will watch or that we'll get people watching and, um, you know, have to keep uh, exposing ourselves to, uh, you know, to, to comments and questions and things like that. But, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a little anxious. I'm definitely excited. This has been, uh, been a lot of work in the making and uh, really looking forward to, uh, to being able to discuss these things. So, you know, today is going to be kind of the worst of the, the bunch, at least I hope so, uh, being that really today it's just me and talking about myself not overly comfortable uh, with that. I'd, I'd prefer to, to have a conversation, um, but uh, this is this is how we get things going. And uh, you know, hopefully, my my skills will improve as uh, as time goes on. Uh, no stranger to talking about things. I, I do a, a weekly radio show here on TSN Edmonton. Uh, with regard to motorsports, uh, we do you know lots of interviews. We you know as a you know as a 
crew member with a, a relatively well-known uh, professional driver. Um, you know, over the years, we've done all kinds of radio, you know, print, TV. Uh, that part's not so, um, you know, not uncomfortable, but, um, you know, to, to spend some time here tonight just talking about myself and my story uh, without, uh, without being able to gauge anyone's reaction is, uh, is, is certainly a new sensation. So um, I'll go back. Uh, one of the more pivotal days um, in my life, and I'll never forget, was October 26, 2000. Um, I'll get back to that day, uh, but my my life in industrial sales and and um, you know what eventually led to where I'm at here with Cantorx started back in 1994. Um, I I went on a fishing trip. Uh, kind of sounds like a line from a tragically hip song, but um, a true story that uh, my girlfriend at the time, who who later became my wife, her uncle um, Uncle Ed, ended up inviting me on a, on a fishing trip. And, you know, while I thought I was actually just getting invited out on a fishing trip, it actually turned out to be a, a job interview where he was trying to size me up. Uh, Leanne and I, uh, who, again, Leanne is my, at the time, girlfriend, uh, then became wife and now became ex-wife. Um, Leanne and I had become engaged and, uh, you know, Uncle Ed, basically wasn't too satisfied with my career at the time being a, uh, an industrial carpet cleaner, uh, took me on a trip just to size me up and, and figure out if I had any mechanical or, um, you know, cognitive wherewithal. And apparently he saw something that, uh, I didn't know was there at the time, but, um, went on the fishing trip and, and, uh, you know, as we, you know, as we traveled back and forth to South Buck Lake, he, you know, made an offer and said, Hey, would you like to come work for the company I manage? Um, you know, here's, here's what we'll pay. Um, you know, you'll basically start as a laborer and go from there. And, you know, told me about some of the upside of industrial work. I, I honestly didn't know anything, but it was going to be very cool for me to get behind the scenes and actually see how some of these, you know, industrial plants that I grew up with around the city and, and coal mines that I never knew, uh, how they operated, you know, to get to, uh, to be a part of that. So, uh, that's where I started in 1994. And from the time I walked into that business, um, I took to it like a duck to water, uh, some reason, uh, everything lined up and I was able to, uh, really conceptualize what we were doing, uh, the, the physics and the, uh, the science behind the, the tools we were operating. And, and really it was a business that, it was a mechanical or a service arm of, of exactly what I'm doing now. Um, you know, now we manufacture tools, but back in the day, we would take torque tools, tensioning tools, ultrasonics, and we would go to plant sites and we'd go to field locations and, and we would be, you know, contracted to help customers put things together and take them apart. Again, starting as a laborer, um, my very first day, um, I got called in to be a, a helper um, in Spruce Grove at what was then called, uh, Nova, uh, Nova pipeline, uh, worked with, uh, you know, two really great guys, uh, who were very patient, um, but, you know, taught me pretty quickly about how, how tensioning worked and how, you know, how to, you know, put them on, how to be safe. Um, you know, from there, uh, the next kind of significant, um, 
you know, step in my, in my evolution was, uh, getting to, uh, go out on a project, um, which, uh, nowadays none of these companies exist, but, um, we went out to Fording Coal, which is now under a different name. We worked on a Marion 8750 drag line, which Marion is no longer a separate company. And, um, I got introduced to a gentleman named Don Clary. Now I will remember Don, uh, for the rest of my days. Don was, um, in, in my industrial world, uh, Don was, or is as influential as uncle Ed was because Don did something that I would never have expected. I was still a junior, um, you know, technician when we got called on to, you know, his job site and, we were only out to do ultrasonic measurement of uh, certain fasteners that, that were on the drag line. And, and for those of you who don't know, fasteners are simply, you know, in, in our world are either a stud or a bolt. Um, and in the case of uh, the 8750, we were working on what's called a gear segment. So it had these one and seven eighths fasteners that we would ultrasonically measure when they were loose. The, um, the, the crew would come in, would tighten everything. We would measure everything again ultrasonically to confirm that everything was tight. And uh, we could confirm to the customer uh, who was fording coal at the time that, yes, everything was done properly. And uh, away we go. And again, I was really just an assistant. But because I had a fairly good you know, technical base, I was able to answer a lot of the questions that the senior representative wasn't able to. And, you know, guys like uh, Don Clary, um, the, uh, you know, and I'm only throwing this out just to show I, when, when somebody's had a, a positive influence on my life, I don't forget who they are. Um, so the, uh, Don Clary was the, the, uh, representative from Fording Cole or pardon me from, um, Marion. He was the dragline representative and, and Don Clary, um, is easily one of the most recognizable names, at least in Western Canada, in, in the mining industry for equipment, because, uh, you know, Don's kind of done it all and seen it all. Um, the Fording Coal rep uh, immediately um, that, that I represent or that I uh, had contact with was a guy named Bob Matthew. And then his immediate supervisor was a guy named Hugh Blackstock. And I had the, the good fortune of getting to work with those guys for, for many, many, many years. Um, and, and in fact, I, um, you know, while I've lost contact with, uh, with Bob and Hugh, I still talk to uh, Don to this day. But um, the, the monumental uh, movement for me was I was, you know, we, we did our, our work on site and then somehow, some way I got a phone call at home. Now at the time I was only about, I don't know, 2021. I was still living with my parents. Uh, it was a Friday evening the phone rang. My mother answered the phone and said, there's a, what seems to be a fairly angry man on the other end. And, you know, while Don uh, maybe has a temper. He just has a fairly aggressive voice. So I get on the phone and he's like, Hey, Colin, it's Clary. Like, I don't know who Clary is. So I keep talking. Um, he tells me, you know, reminds me that uh, I just did some work for him and, and that I needed to get back to the site uh, to do some more measurement that night. They had a bit of an emergency failure and, you know, couldn't wait until, um, until we could, you know, make things happen. And without thinking, I said, okay, no problem. I'll be, I'll be out there as soon as I can. Um, I have to go pick up some gear. I had no idea how to 
you know, how to get into our shop. I had no idea who to contact. I, I didn't have a company vehicle. I didn't know how to fill out a time slip. I just knew that I wanted to help the guy out. Um, you know, call uncle Ed up, uncle Ed puts me in touch with somebody else who gets me into the shop, who gets me access to the company van loads up the ultrasonic unit. And by about nine o'clock that night, I, I was back out on site and now I'm working individually and I'm working independently. And, and now I'm the direct representative for my company with, with this uh, mining company um, that automatically propelled me. I'd only been with, um, with my company for, for, you know, probably only six or eight months. And now all of a sudden I was being entrusted to, uh, to do these projects. And that led to me doing, you know, some international work uh, with our U S offices and, um, you know, really set me on a pretty fast path uh, to to being successful, and and eventually that that got me into sales. Um, you know, through a series of really bad decisions, I actually left that company, which I I honestly regret to this day because I followed some some pretty bad advice and made some really bad decisions. But ultimately, learned from those mistakes. Um, also discovered that you know my nature is that of a survivor, meaning that. Yes, I'll make bad mistakes and bad things may happen, but my instinct is is to just keep going. And, and as I'll say on more than one occasion, I'm not the smartest person in the world. I never claim to be the smartest person in the world. But what my one of my strengths is that I have the ability to wake up in the morning, put my jeans on and put one foot in front of the other. No matter how bad things get, I can keep moving. And, and you know, that's that is served me very, very well over the years. Uh, flash forward a little bit, make a series of bad decisions, um, end up uh, getting hired by a, uh, a Montreal-based company um, who tried to get access to Alberta and, and had different levels of success here. Um, I had done some work with them at a distance. A friend of mine became one of their salesmen. Uh, we were able to rent a few tools. Uh, oddly enough, I was renting the tools back to the same power plant across the road from the, uh, the, the coal mine that, that uh, really proved to be my first breaking point. And then eventually he left the company. I was hired onto the company and um, became their first, you know, full-time, uh, you know, Alberta-based uh, rep uh, to the point that they were comfortable enough to build an office around me uh, within um, you know the first year and a bit we became one of the fastest growing uh, highest profiting offices that 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 company actually had we we ran at you know incredibly high profit ratios and um, and our numbers were were astounding um, by the the last you know the last full year that I was I was with that office um, we were the highest profiting uh, office by by total dollar amount, and um, without question, we were the fastest growing. And uh, that leads to October twenty sixth of two thousand. Um, I was you know happily married. Uh, we had our first son, our first child, which was my son Parker. Um, he had just turned one year old uh, on October 16th. And by the time we got to October 26th, I had found out that despite the success we were having within the business, I was terminated. Uh, wasn't really given an honest answer as to what happened, but as I earlier alluded to, I am a survivor and I didn't really think I was very confused because I hadn't had a professional 
uh, disappointment in my life to that point. Um, I didn't even own a vehicle at that point. I was driving a company car, um, which I had to leave behind and um, got a ride from uh, um, my, my employee. Um, while it might not seem right, positive Mike, it is 100% correct. And, um, you know, unfortunately, um, there wasn't a lot that I could do about it. But, um, you know, we moved on. I dust myself off. And, and on my way home, well, I had no idea that this was coming and, and the way I was fired and the way I knew I was going to be gone is that when I showed up to my office that morning, the president of the company was sitting in my office at my desk uh, and, I, and he didn't tell me that he was going to come out. Um, so I knew the only reason that he would fly from Montreal to Edmonton without telling me was that he was there to, to ax me. Uh, it was a really quick conversation. I'll never forget it. Um, and I said to him, I reiterated to him what I said at, you know, numerous times that I didn't want to be somewhere that I wasn't wanted. And if they didn't want me, no matter what, I was happy to leave, um, on the way home. Again, I was quite blindsided. I told, uh, my, uh, my, who was an employee, um, but now just my, my, uh, lifetime counterpart Sheldon that I needed to make a couple stops. I got on the, I, I stopped at uh, Petro Canada on 51st Ave, just west of Calgary Trail in Edmonton, made a phone call to my existing supplier, told them what happened. Um, they said that they were going to support me. I made a second stop um, to my uh, father-in-law, uh, who was a business owner, uh, Don Campbell, the owner of Campbell Automotive, um, you know, has been uh, with with Don and with Uncle Ed, um, you know, actually more instrumental in my my business career. Stopped and talked to him and said, "You'll never guess what happened." And uh, he says, "Well, what's that?" I said, "Well, I was fired, and I had a big shit-eating grin on my face." And he said, "You seem to be taking it pretty well." And I said, "I don't know why. I've never failed at anything professionally in my life, but I have a sense that I've just been released." He said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know, but I figured out how to make this thing work for them. There's no reason why I can't make it work for myself. He said, okay, fine. Um, I'm going to talk to Gail, my mother-in-law, and we'll get back to you with what we can do. Now, I had had this you know, this idea that I was going to get a lot of money to start a thing, um, but as it turns out, um, you know, the, the offer was I could have a section of space within uh, Don shop. Um, and he wouldn't charge me any rent. Um, I could set up a shelf. I had a workbench. Um, if I can figure out how to use, uh, this, this, uh, software, um, this, this was the, this was the beginning of Cantorque. Um, I had a single section of shelf. Uh, this was actually quite, quite a ways into, um, you know, my, my, uh, you know, this was probably a month or two uh, into into Cantor's start uh, where I'd finally uh, built up some inventory, uh, inventory being about four pumps, um, handful of wrenches, um, a couple of sockets. Uh, that's how I started. Beside this shelf is a, uh, a workbench that was, you know, approximately eight feet long. It was about two feet wide. So my my first shop and my first um, you know, the first iteration of Cantor was literally 40 square feet. Um, 
And, and within that, I was actually able to do almost a million dollars of business in my first, uh, by the time I hit year two, um, you know, that, that really, um, you know, a lot of things really clicked, a lot of things really uh, lined up when they needed to. And I, I just hustled. I hustled like I've never hustled before. I would wake up at five o'clock in the morning. I would put on my shorts and a t-shirt. I would go straight to my basement. I'd get on the computer, which was still a you know relatively um, new concept uh, for business in, in the year 2000. And I would research, I'd look for customers, I'd look for industrial accounts and, um, you know, I, I would reach out to, to various suppliers. Um, you know, that being said, the day I got fired, um, my last stop was I had to get home and tell my wife that I was no longer employed and, and somehow we, we had to survive. Um, you know, um, I'll never forget when, when I explained the story to her, um, you know, she did not, you know, she didn't weep. She didn't, you know, she wasn't disappointed. She supported me a hundred percent and said, if this is what you're going to do, I know you're going to do it well and, and we'll be taken care of. And that was enough motivation for me to, you know, to, to really keep going. I got on the phone, uh, made, made a few more, uh, calls when I got home. And, uh, by noon that day, I had six people willing to sell me product on credit, um, I didn't even know what credit was. I didn't know how to run a business. I was only really a regional manager for an existing company. I had no clue. I didn't even know how to file uh, for a business license, but somehow uh, we managed to get that done. And, um, you know, for the most part, uh, with the exception of, of two companies out of the six that I started dealing with on October 26, 2000, I still deal with these guys and we've got great relationships. Uh, the evolution continued. Um, you know, I was in that little shop for uh, probably about two and a half to three years when um, we were approached. Um, we being my father-in-law as the leaseholder of our, our old building, uh, we're told that we were no longer going to be able to keep that space, that um, the, the bigger tenant in that building wanted to take it over and that they were going to move us to a new, new location. Uh, my my brother-in-law, Mark, was ramping up to, uh, you know, have more influence in their business. My business was taking off and, and we decided that we didn't want to be the victims of, of paying, you know, rent and leases the rest of our life. So we started looking for a place to buy. And, um, you know, in the mail that day, uh, we, we got a flyer for the building that I'm sitting in today that, uh, that we purchased uh, in 2003 um, you know, they, they being Campbell automotive, uh, they had about 65 to 75% of their 65 to 70% of this building. I had about 30%, um, and away we went. Um, you know, what's kind of funny as I sit here now is the, the section of my, my building that I started in and, and I could theoretically still operate in is just where we keep our toys. It's where we have our race cars. That's where the CRG race shop operates out of that's where a racing simulator is but that was that was Cantork for a number of years and and now um you know we've taken over the entire building uh my in-laws have sold their business they're you know they've moved on to other things but um you know along the way there there've been a lot of highs and lows i mean our our main our main uh, supply partner we you know had a uh, you know a number of disagreements with um and and for both of our betterment we went our separate way 
Uh, immediately after that, we got into the first steps into manufacturing, although we weren't building anything. Uh, we had tools made for us, um, you know, by an overseas company um, that, you know, to be candid, they, they were knocking off the tools that we were originally selling. Um, you know, did a really good job in the beginning, but as, um, you know, as they got further down the road, they started the, the tool quality just wasn't good enough. And the biggest problem that I had was that it had my name on it as Cantorque instead of somebody else's. So there was nobody to pass the blame to, uh, although we didn't design it, we had nothing to do with the, uh, the manufacturing process when these tools were, were failing, they were failing in such a spectacular fashion that, uh, we, we just couldn't continue, um, evolved even further, um, you know, partnered with another company based out of Chicago, um, that, that had already started building some stuff for another company, but, uh, they weren't happy with their relationship. We kind of jumped in, um, and, and worked with them for a number of years, but we got stuck with them because, well, our ordering quantities, uh, weren't, weren't the biggest. We could only, you know, order in small quantity because we were prototyping as we were going along. And, and, you know, one of the, one of the toughest lessons I've had to learn um, is that uh, when it comes to things like heat treating, there is no, there, there is science behind it, but there's no magic recipe. And with, with heat treating, it is a subspecialty unto itself. Um, There are so many things that go into it um, and nobody will give you an ironclad recipe. It doesn't matter how good the heat treat shop is that you can ask them for a hardness. You can ask them uh, for a type of heat treat, but they won't tell you what to do. So there's, that was one of the biggest stumbling blocks that we had to overcome because we just didn't know how to do that. Um, skip forward a little bit. We never really got it right with these guys. And um, while I wanted to eliminate some of the, the, um, the issues, you know, really around heat treating and, and use materials that didn't require heat treating, they kept producing tools that we hadn't ordered um, because they wanted to keep their machines busy. And the more that they made, the lower per cost uh, of, of each tool was going to be. Although we didn't have a use for them anymore once we made design changes and wanted to move in a different direction. And, and you know, while, while that relationship didn't work, um, you know, I was really thankful for the amount of time that they put in. Um, it just turned into a communication and a philosophical thing that we, we had to move on. And that's where we got connected with our current partners. Um, you know, for the longest time, I wouldn't talk about who they were um, because I didn't want, I didn't want the, um, the, the people that are in our industry to be able to walk into their door and say, hey, I see you're making tools for Cantorque. We want you to do the same thing for us. Or, you know, worse, um, to have another company, you know, hear about what a great job they're doing and then start filling their shop up um, where we wouldn't be able to get our production done. But um, I'm quite proud to say that we work with Alberta Production Machine. They're, they're based here in Edmonton as our primary uh, machine shop. Um, you know, Herman and Burned uh, are both, you know, very good friends. Uh, we know them personally. Um, we've, we've gone through, you know, so many highs and lows over our, whatever it's been, five or six years. And, and they've really grown uh, to support us. Uh, they've added uh, countless machines um, where 
this is maybe a little bit too too deep into a, a first episode, but you know, before we got introduced to uh, Alberta Production Machine, uh, their business was largely what's considered turning. They did mostly lathe work. So you put a piece of material in, the material spins, and then you apply a cutter to it, where our kind of componentry and our kind of tools requires what's called milling, where the, the piece sits still and the cutter does all the work. The cutter moves around to, um, you know, to profile things. And, you know, from the first time we started dealing with those guys, they've now added, um, you know, three mills, including a five axis mill. Uh, you know, the five axis mill does some really cool things. And again, if I can figure this out, um, this is an example of one of our components, um, which is one of the, the coolest things that we can This was buyback milling. with that, you know, it's, it's been, it's been awesome. Um, you know, we get to do, you know, so many things here now in Edmonton, um, you know, very, very proud of, of our, you know, our, our, you know, our industry here in Alberta. And, and, you know, unfortunately when, when you say industry, um, there's too many people that, that take that to mean that it's a bad thing. I mean, we have just, we have incredibly smart people here in, in, you know, in Canada, um, you know, and, and, you know, just an amazing amount of people here in, in Edmonton that, that, you know, we can rely on their smarts and we can rely on their expertise and we make such awesome products here. We have, you know, just the smartest of the smart, um, you know, with, with our partnership with APM, they've, they've helped us so much, uh, to to get out of our infancy and to you know really come to understand what we need to do as manufacturers, um, you know, really helped us with processes um, and and really helped implement my vision when I come up with a wacky idea or I come up with a concept that's supposed to help uh, or ideally help. Um, you know, burned is, is, uh, you know, side by side with me, um, you know, with prototyping, um, you know, our engineers have been, have been incredible as well. Um, but that kind of covers our, our industrial world. And, and as we go, um, you know, again, listening to me flap my app is not necessarily the most entertaining thing in the world, but I got to get this out of the way to move to all the good stuff later on. Um, you know, we'll be talking to customers. We'll be talking to our distribution partners, um, as I said in my bio, um, I'm not going to stick to a schedule simply because I can't. Um, you know, I travel a lot. I, I flew 170,000 miles last year. I was in, I don't know, roughly about a dozen countries from Australia to the Middle East to Europe, um, you know, across North America. Um, in addition to the 170,000 air miles, I also drove about 60,000 miles for racing, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, sometimes we'll, we'll run this show on the other side of the world. Sometimes, um, you know, we'll, we'll load things up and we'll run from a racetrack if we want to do a lot of race coverage. Um, but that's, 
the other part of the, uh, you know, of talking torque is, is we're going to get into the world of racing. I already do, like I said, a 20 minute uh, segment on, on TSN radio on the Jason Greger show, um, where we, you know, talk about any form of motorsport. Um, like I said, I still, I still work actively. I still uh, campaign actively as a driver. Um, you know, I, I love it. I love being able to put my helmet on. I love being able to, uh, get to a racetrack and, um, you know, and compete. Um, you know, I will <laughs> definitely acknowledge that my better racing days are behind me. Uh, now that, that I'm you know rapidly approaching uh, 50 years old here, but you know, I still want to, you know, I still want to keep going. Um, you know, I, I love, um, you know, just everything about it. I mean, one, one really cool thing that happened during, um, you know, last year's, uh, summer challenges, we had our friend, uh, Sam Gosselin, Sam handles a lot of Alex's, uh, multimedia. Uh, he put this, uh, you know, this awesome little video, uh, together actually makes me look not so bad. Um, hopefully this comes across the right way. Kind of funny to see Alex as the mechanic reminds me of an old joke uh, about the Pope who eventually got to drive the Pope mobile uh, skip forward just to the punchline. When he gets pulled over for speeding and unrolls the window, a cop comes up to him, you know, takes a look, walks away. His partner says, who was that guy? And why didn't you give him a ticket? Like, I don't know who the guy was in the back, but the Pope was his driver. So I'm going to let him go. Uh, nobody will know who I am, but uh, they'll know that Alex is my mechanic. Um, so yeah, we have a lot of fun, um, you know, within the world of racing, like I said, I'm still a driver. Um, I hope I can maintain my, my life as a driver for, for a few more years. Um, I work as Alex's spotter in the NASCAR Pinty series. So for, for people who don't know what that is, uh, specifically within stock cars and, and within the world of NASCAR, we are mandated, drivers are mandated to have a spotter present because when you're in a stock car, you can't really see. You can see forward, um, but because your your helmet is is relatively low vision and what you know, what drivers use what's called a Hans device, or they use a, a you know, some kind of uh, brand, um, you know, other than Hans necessarily, that will hold their head together, that they can only turn their head about 10 degrees either direction. So you can't really see what's on your outside. You can't always see what's behind you. And what a spotter will do is, you know, essentially be a verbal mirror. So we're, we're in constant contact over the radio. I'll talk to Alex, you know, from, you know, before the time we start through the entire race, um, our other, um, you know, major role is we pass along NASCAR's messages. So NASCAR, they don't interrupt the the crew chief. They don't generally interrupt, um, you know, anybody on pit road, but you know, we have a spotter official that will get a message from NASCAR. The spotter will come and talk to us if we're doing something wrong. If we, you know, uh, misaligned on a, on a start, if we're not holding speed, if we're playing games, um, 
you know, if our car is leaking, they want to know what's going on. If, you know, we just need to keep talking. So, um, that's, that's a big part of what I do. So, you know, travel, you know, for, there's uh, 14 races in the Pinty's uh, calendar. Two of them are within driving distance for me. So I spend a lot of time uh, flying, you know, across the country to handle that. And then, like I said, the, the last thing that we do within the world of racing other than broadcasting is, uh, is the cart supply business for CRG, um, which is really starting to, to take off. Uh, we've got a lot more, you know, people on board. Um, people are starting to see that, you know, we, we handle things a little bit differently than, than they were done before. And, and that seems to be resonating. So, um, you know, I can't say when we'll be back. Uh, I'd like to think we'll, we'll do another episode next week and, uh, you know, hopefully can line up a guest and have a little bit more of a conversation. Um, you know, I, I don't know who, who all the, uh, the viewers are. I, I know my friend Mike's watching and I, I appreciate, uh, you taking the time. Um, I'm, I'm due for at least one new beer here. It's been, uh, it's been about a month since my last beer, Mike. So, um, you know, one of those, uh, one of those Pilsners would be really good. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll be available. Um, you can always hit us up, uh, at talk and torque on, uh, on Twitter. Uh, happy to, to answer any questions. Um, if you have a story, whether it's business racing or something, uh, you know, something in between, um, you know, don't be shy to reach out. Uh, we can probably have a, uh, you know, great conversation. Uh, this isn't exactly an exclusive club. Everyone's welcome. And, um, yeah, look forward to, uh, you know, shaking off a bit more of these cobwebs, learning a bit more, uh, trying to get a bit more smooth with, uh, you know, some of the, uh, the technical elements of, uh, of these podcasts and, uh, you know, again, thanks for watching and, uh, we'll be back real soon. Hey listeners, I'm Christy and I'm Melissa and this is Buried Motives where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back and that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.